Well, good morning. Yeah. I mean, uh, mediocre more? I don't know what to say. Like, just okay morning? Uh, good morning. Uh, okay, that was good. I'm sure at home y'all participated. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. I, I know you guys are disappointed because the Jaguars did not show up at their game on Thursday night. I'm feeling that way too. Uh, but God has something to say to us today. And so, that's a terrible joke. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Pastor Eric has been leading us through the book of Matthew so far, helping us see God's design for us to have a blessed life, that God has a purpose for your life, that the purpose of your life is to be blessed. But blessing is not always what we have uh, described or defined it as culturally. Oftentimes when we think about the idea of being blessed. We think of some material gain that we've received. Someone gives you a check for uh, $500 million, just randomly, you'd say, blessed, right? Or we think about some uh, particular obstacle that's overcome, or we think about a relationship that we have that's extra special, that we are blessed And in the Gospels, there is some of those things for followers of Christ, but some of those things are seen in a very different way than how culture would often paint the picture of being blessed. In fact, we know that because Jesus just just finishes up from our passage last week uh, with the idea that blessed, verse 10, chapter 5, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That the idea of God's design, God's purpose for your life and being blessed is something even greater than the worst thing in this world that could happen to you. It overcomes all of that. That God's purpose in your life to be blessed is God himself as a gift for you and you his people walking with him. That's the greatest blessed life that you could possibly imagine. You see, the people in, that Jesus was preaching to in the book of Matthew needed to hear that just like you need to hear that. Because they were fulfilling their purpose in all sorts of different ways. And we know that if we don't see the purpose that God has for us, we will fulfill that purpose even if we don't know we're fulfilling that purpose. We'll rather, we'll make up a purpose that we have because we don't know God's purpose for us. And this is true in other areas of life, isn't it? If you're a single mom in here and, uh, uh, or a stay-at-home mom uh, or a single dad or a stay-at-home dad or just a parent in general and you're wondering what in the world is the purpose of changing diaper after diaper after diaper, there must be something more to life than this and you feed them, then they're hungry again and then they don't want to eat what you just gave them even though they loved it yesterday uh, and you're like, what in the world is the purpose of this, and you begin to fill your mind with all sorts of purposes that are perhaps different than what God 
and tens, or perhaps you are in a job that you just don't like, and you'd say all it does is just pay the bills. Well, let me ask you a question. Parents, if you stop changing diapers and feeding your kids, what happens? Well, that's for a purpose, isn't it? Your house smells terrible, everyone's super hungry, and uh, everyone's upset at one another, and that's just chaos. Uh, what happens if you stop paying the bills because you stop your job that you just don't like? Well, all sorts of terrible things happen when you stop fulfilling that purpose. You see, when we fulfill the purpose that we have been given, even in normal life with a purpose that is not designed for that life system, we find brokenness, don't we? We find this all over the military, if you're in the military, right? Uh, you understand that just because you're in the military does not mean you have to actually do what you're told. Now, you should, but one of the funny things about um, non-military leadership and the different places I've gone is the term, uh, well, in the military, they listen because you have authority and they get a paycheck. And I just laugh and think, there's all sorts of ways to not do what, you, what you're told to do in the military. Ask any military person. They'll say, yeah, if I don't want to do it, I got a way out of it. It's just, it's just how it works. Did you know that if you are in the army, your purpose is land dominance and defense? If you are in the Navy, your purpose is sea dominance. That's, that's what you're aiming towards with all the work that you're doing. If you are a Marine, you just dominate anything they tell you to. That's how that works out. You just, you'll keep what you got or go take whatever they tell you to. Uh, the, the, if you're a Marine. If you're in the Coast Guard, you protect the homeland from threats foreign and domestic. Hey, do you know what the purpose of the Air Force is? No, that's a question. I actually don't know. I, I'm not sure. There's, I'll do that every time. It just tees up so easy. Boom, I'm sure they have a purpose. But my point is, my point is, my point is, you understand that we have a purpose in the different roles of our lives. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, God is going to help us see, just like God helped this group see, that the purpose for their life is designed by God for something very purposeful. And here's the danger, here's the danger. If we walk through our lives as followers of Christ, somehow unaware that God saved you and has a purpose for you, after decades of living, you will go before the Lord, having never fulfilled the purpose that God has had for you in Christ. And that day is not a good day. But with that, God understands that we need his help in knowing our purpose. And that's exactly what he does in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says this. Jesus tells the group, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Jesus uses this text to help his hearers hear the purpose that God has for their lives. And so before we enter into this text, here's the question we need to answer. And by we, I mean you. If today God helps you see that he has a purpose for your life, and in seeing the purpose that God has for your life, he helps you realize you are not fulfilling the purpose God has for you, would you be courageous and brave enough to from this point forward say, God, I want your purpose for my life as my purpose. If there's a misalignment between this passage of Scripture and your life before we get into it, would you be so bold as to say, God, if I'm missing the purpose you have for my life, would you help me to fulfill your purpose and show me how practically. Because this, pra this passage is going to drive at the heart practically of how you are to be to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. So let's stop and pray and ask God to give us wisdom in that. And then let's look at this text and see God's purpose for our lives. Let's pray together. Father, would you give us wisdom and understanding in knowing your word that we would have an understanding of how to apply it, that we would walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him, fulfilling the purpose for which you have called us to, that you have created for us, and that you have laid out within us to fulfill in Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray, amen. Here's the first thing you need to see, the first thing you need to see in this passage. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. You need to know that God has a purpose for your life. Here's what's going on in the context of Matthew chapter 5. In fact, if you don't believe me, just go to chapter 5, look at verse 1, and we'll read this together. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay, so what does this say? This says that what Jesus is teaching, he's teaching everyone who's gathering around them. Now, the disciples have come in close, but there are tons of people who are in Galilee who are a Middle Eastern Jewish tradition who are gathering around Jesus to hear what he has to teach and say that are God's historic people and God himself, who is Jesus, looks at them and says, this is what you are. You are salt. You are light. You need to hear this this morning. I want you to know, God wants you to know that he has a purpose for your life. You are not purposeless. God has you in his family on purpose for a purpose. And God's purpose for your life is a massive mission. In fact, look at how the text goes in verse 13 and 14. For you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light 
of the world. Not only does God have a purpose for your life, but God has a worldwide purpose for your life. Is not this the end of the book of Matthew? Jesus tells his disciples and all those who are gathered, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, those who are new disciples in all nations, to observe all things that he has commanded us. And God, Jesus, will be with us till the end of our days. Is not this the design that God has for his people, that he has a purpose for them and a worldwide purpose? Therefore, you as God's people, God has a purpose for your life. You are not a lame duck vote after some kind of elected official about who should be in the room. You are chosen by the King of Kings to be in his family, and he did that on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is worldwide. And you might say, Tim, I can't travel the world. Uh, Kurt Breland, who did the baptism, Kurt and Ethel, uh, who did the baptism at the beginning of the 11, this service, the 11 o'clock service, uh, he's our missions pastor. Man, that guy's traveled in more countries than I think exist. Sometimes I talk to him, I'm like, that's not even a country. He like made that up. Like he's, he's going all over the place. And you might say, I can't go all over the world. Well, I want you to know that the people that were hearing this text didn't understand the scope of the world. They wouldn't have even imagined the scope of the world, that when they hear earth and world, which are just two parallel ideas to say everything, everyone, everywhere, that when they heard this, you just got to know that not only does God have a worldwide plan for his people, but God has a purpose for you to reach your world. What is the purpose that God has for you to reach your world? Every relationship, every neighbor that you encounter, the grocery store checkout person, uh, the person that you pass by on the sidewalk, the people that you work with, the little ones that run around your house, your husband, your wife, whether strained or strong, the relationships that you have at work, whether you like them or not, God has designed you for a purpose to reach the world and to reach your world. And so that's all the introduction to the sermon. Because what we're going to see now is that Jesus gives us two truths in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, that define our purpose that God has given his people. But before we get there, here's what we have to know. If you feel purposeless, you've got to know God's design for you that you will see in this text, if the Lord would allow us to, is that you are in no way an accident or a mistake. You are in no way cast aside. Someone in here this morning needs to hear, someone watching needs to hear that God has a specific purpose for you, even if it feels like he hasn't spoken to you in a long time. The group of people that Jesus is talking to haven't heard from God in 400 years. 
hundred years. If you imagine the loneliness you feel as an individual for however long you've felt that, multiply that by 40 and you get somewhere in the realm of God's collective people saying, what in the world is our purpose? They've been overcome by so many different groups. Right now they're under Roman rule. And God himself is now coming before them and saying, here's what you are. This is your moment, followers of Jesus, where God in his scripture is looking at you and saying, this is what you are. Are you ready to hear what you are, what God's purpose is for you? Jesus is going to speak to you this morning. And here are the two truths. Are you ready? Number one, truth number one, God has made you his own. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You understand what salt is and does, right? There's so many things that salt is used for that this text can almost be used to, well, shouldn't be, but is used to say so many things about what God's purpose is for your life. And some of them are kind of true. Uh, for example, we understand that salt preserves, right? That if you take a meat or something and you soak it in salt, it will stay okay for a while. And so, does G is Jesus saying in a way that you are the way in which the world is preserved? Well, I've read the end of the book. The world actually gets made brand spanking new. It's not going to be reserved. It's going to be destroyed. And so, I don't think that's what's going on here. Plus, Christian theology, who is the one who is powerful over all things to preserve all of creation? Jesus, right? Now, not me. I'm not that kind of salt. But in a way, as God's people, we are kind of like that, where we are the remnant that is in the mix that kind of helps it be preserved. That's kind of part of it, but not exactly what Jesus was getting at. Uh, some people have said that uh, salt doesn't just preserve, preserve, but it's used to purify. All these things start with a P. That seems to be where everybody went with it. And so that's pretty cool because I'm a preacher and I like alliteration, right? These salt is used to purify. Uh, in the Old Testament, several times, salt is referred to as being used by a prophet or the lack of it, uh, not uh, and, uh, because it's not there, something isn't pure. You, you understand this principle. In fact, if you have a cut and it's infected, I don't recommend this because there's better ways. You just like rub a bunch of salt in it. It'll probably kill everything that's in, that, uh, that's in that cut. You'll also cry like a baby and then have to go get the salt washed out. But the point is, we understand that salt does indeed purify. But once again, Christian theology, what is the thing, the only thing that makes you holy, blameless, beyond reproach? The only one that purifies you and your soul? Jesus, right? And so, in a way, we are kind of the representation of, as followers of Jesus, of, of what 
those who've been purified, made holy by God, look like. But if we're the salt of the earth, we're not the ones who do the purification. So it's kind of related, but not exactly. Uh, some have said that uh, uh, what Jesus means by this is uh, you're like, you're the party. You know what I mean? Like you're the flavor uh, in a flavorless world or whatever. And like, I don't think I have to go as far as to say like, I've been serving as a pastor for a while, and some Christians are really fun. They bring flavor to life. Others, you know, we're all made different. And so, like, that's not exactly what Jesus says, that you're the ones that bring the party to the earth. No, no, I don't think so. You see, you have to remember that Jesus is talking to a group of people who are Jewish, they're raised in a culture and tradition of Old Testament law. Jesus is from them. He was born not far away from where he is preaching. And so when he says this, it's coming onto minds that have an idea of authoritative teaching from God about salt. Did you know in Scripture, when God speaks about salt, not how it's used throughout Scripture, but when God says this is where salt is going to be applied, it is ubiquitously, nearly every time, and I only say nearly because I didn't find any where it's not like this, it is always when God speaks about salt, or nearly always to be most careful, it is nearly always God reminding his people of his eternal covenant with them. What Jesus is doing in this passage is reminding these people who have not heard from God in a while, who feel beat down and trodden upon, who are waiting for this moment where they'll rise up again. He looks at them and says, listen, you guys are the ones whom God has covenanted with. And that covenant that God has as salt of the earth, you are the ones who have received an eternal covenant from an eternal God who always keeps up his end of the deal. The covenant in the Old Testament that God made with Adam, God upheld his hand, but Adam did not. God made a covenant with Noah. God upheld his end, but creation and Noah did not. God made a covenant with Abraham. God upheld his end of the covenant, but Abraham did not. God made a covenant with Moses and God's people through the law, where God upheld his end of the covenant, but God's people did not. God made a covenant, a commitment, an eternal promise to King David and David's line. God upheld his end of the covenant. David and David's line did not. And so in the middle of this, they're experiencing the reality that they have broken their side of the promise, whether they know it or not. And God himself pulls them back together and says, you guys are the ones that my covenant is with. I chose you on purpose. You are mine. It was never on you in the first place. This was all on me. I do not forsake my covenant. Brother and sister in Christ, is this not the message of the gospel in your life? That you who were far off, God brought near. 
That you who are walking in darkness, he is brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. That you who were dead, you've been made alive. You have been made alive together with Christ. That you who were unable to do work, to earn a relationship with God, to the one who is unable to do that, which is everybody in Romans chapter 4, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accredited as righteousness. That you were as dead as dead could be, and God made you alive because of his eternal covenant for all who believe on him. Oh, what good news is it for a group of people that haven't heard from God in a while to say, God is still your God. He's got you. That God's purpose for you has not changed. That God himself has made you his own. In Christian theology, the idea that there isn't a condition that I can make myself be in to be more presentable to God is a beautiful, comforting idea that I understand that if I could lose my salvation, I would. I couldn't have earned it even if I tried. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved. Oh, the people of God needed to hear that just like you do today. That God has a purpose for you and this truth you stand on is because that, uh, the truth that God has a purpose for you, you can stand on is because according to God, he has made you, if you're a follower of Christ, his own. You can't lose that. In fact, there's a little bit of a warning here because Jesus is like really aware that not everyone who, who is listening to his Sermon on the Mount here is actually part of God's covenant. I've been in church long enough to know there are people who do not follow Jesus in this room. There's people who do not follow Jesus that are online. Now, you've, you've never believed in Jesus. You're outside of God's covenant people. Uh, Jesus is aware of that. In fact, in the rest of the book of Matthew, he's like, don't be like these people. Be like this. Uh, don't be like this. Be like this. And there were people listening who would argue that they know God, but in reality, we're living in a way that simply they do not know God. In fact, look at how he goes in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The idea is, I mean, have you ever uh, lost, have you ever tasted old salt? I, I don't, probably, maybe, I don't know. Like, when you go home this afternoon, or if you go to a restaurant, or takeout, or whatever, just tell them, like, I want your oldest salt packet, you know, just like scraped up, just underneath, in the back. I want it, like, stained with something that was spilled on it 10 years ago. And then you take that thing out, and you taste it, and you tell me if it's Salty, and you'll learn that salt has a permanent salty taste. It's interesting how different, uh, uh, in, uh, different people who write comments on these verses go to say, well, you know, technically, if uh, you took some uh, different uh, uh, chemicals and you 
mixed it up, you could get a, you, like, way overanalyzing this analogy here. The idea is that Jesus is saying, if salt has lost its saltiness, how does it get its taste restored? Well, it can't, but also it can't lose its saltiness. That doesn't even make any sense. And so, here's what Jesus says. He says that kind of salt that is salt, but actually isn't actually salty, there's nothing that the salt can do for itself. It's useless. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is the warning in this passage about God's covenant with his people, that if you are sand, not salt, you have no part with God himself. I would be a bad pastor if I did not give you the warning of this passage, that there are those who claim to be salt who have never been salty in their lives. And the warning for you is this, no matter how you exegete the term trampled underfoot, it's not positive, right? Like it, it, it doesn't mean anything good. It means that you're separated from God in desperate need of salvation. And that if you are in here today relying on something else to uh, fulfill the purpose that God has designed for you to be only fulfilled by God, if you do not walk with him, if you are not a part of God's people, if you've never confessed your sins and believe in Jesus to be saved and follow him, I want you to know the warning of this passage is when it comes to relationship with God, you do not have one. And that's massively dangerous when it comes to eternal relationship. Because he is the only one that saves. See, not only has God made you his own, that's your purpose. That's your purpose. But also, God has made you his own so that you can make him known. A quick question, a uh, die test as to whether or not you are salt or sand is simply this. What do I make known with my life? In fact, look at, look at this text. Look at this text. Salty, salt is always salty. Just going to be salty. Light is always light. It's going to be light. Now look at where Jesus goes here in verse 14. He says, you're salt. I have a covenant with you. You're my covenanted people. This is the purpose of my covenanted people. All throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, the purpose of my, my people is to make me known. Look at where he goes in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you ready for this? Here we go. God has designed you as his covenant people to be his plan A, to get the gospel to your world and there is no plan B. God has designed you as his covenant people, as the ones whom he bought, as the ones whom he saved, as the one he has committed to, to make his gospel known to your world. You are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. 
Uh, years ago, I was at a church and I had some deacons get upset at me afterwards because I said, uh, God's plan A for your friends to hear the gospel is you because I never will meet them. It's super upset at me for that. I thought, well, like, do you, like, just read the Bible, your responsibility. This is what God has made you to be, light in a dark world. This is your purpose. In fact, if you are living in a way that does not point others to God by how you live, that doesn't shine the light of God into the darkness, you're probably super bored as a Christian. It probably is mundane to you because you are fulfilling your purpose with something else completely different. Your purpose is to make known Jesus who has made you his own. That's what God has designed for you to do. You see, the logic of this text is like, uh, I was talking to someone before this, and uh, they said, hey, good luck up there. I said, what I need is help not making something simple super complicated because Preachers are good at that, right? Like, this is what we can do sometimes. And so, just, this text is just one of those texts that you just read and be the salt of the earth. Okay, that's what I'm going to be. Be the light of the world. Like, you, you can't exegete some weird way to be like, well, you know, be light in my heart. Like, it doesn't work like that. To be light to a world. Oh, watch how this passage flows. Here's what, he, here's what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. Okay, here's your purpose, and it's worldwide. Your worldwide purpose it's to be light of the world. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, he gives us two illustrations and then a conclusion. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, so in the same way, when Jesus said, well, what do you do with salt that loses its saltiness? The people listening are like, that doesn't even make sense. Well, what do you do with a city that's set on a hill that you try to hide? They're like, yeah, you, you can't. You, you can't hide a hill. Like, you, you cannot hide if you are a lit city on a hill. Lit as in lit up. Lit not as in current culture way of thing, like just lit up, right? You, you can't hide that. You cannot hide if, if you have light. If you can hide, you have light. What? Probably don't have light. And then he goes on the second time. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. We understand this principle. I actually brought a, a lantern uh, because to, to help us see, this is an electric lantern, there's no fire, so we're good, right? And when somewhere is dark, where there is no light, you just turn on light. Amazing, right? Like technology, right? This, you turn on light. But in Jesus' day, there, there was no electricity in Jesus' day. Believe it or not, there was no electricity in Jesus' day. Right? There weren't cell phones, you couldn't take selfies, just kind of one of those things. And so, so what they had to do is they, they had a, a lamp that was actually fire, how cool is that, right? What would happen if you were to take a basket and put it on top of a fire torch? Right, just try it at home. I'm just kidding. Don't. Kids listening, don't. All right, so but just imagine. That thing would burn up. It wouldn't make any sense in any way to put fire under a basket, especially if the purpose of that fire is to shine light in a dark home. No, you put it somewhere and you raise it up so that the light spreads out to every dark place. And this is the idea that now Jesus is going to conclude with in verse 16. You can't hide a city on a hill. The only way to hide a city on a hill is that it has no light. You can't, you don't put a 
a, a, a lamp under a basket. No way, man. You put that somewhere that everyone in the house can see. Everyone in that world of light can see because of that light. Now conclusion, verse 16. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, your light that shines is for the purpose that others would know God. That your purpose, your purpose in life is to know God. He has made you know him and now to make him known. Uh, Years ago, 20 years ago, it was just crazy. It's crazy I can say that. 20 years ago, when I was a teenager, oh, it's weird. Like, this time, it's amazing, right? It's 20 years ago, uh, I was getting ready to uh, go to this uh, kids' camp thing, and uh, I got invited to play the bass guitar at kids' camp, and I didn't know how to play a bass guitar, uh, so someone taught me you know, all worship music, new worship music back then, by back then 20 years ago, was three chords. You know, so if you, if you learned it, three notes, if you learned it, you could play anything. And so I learned them. And then uh, I was going to borrow a friend's bass guitar, um, go lead worship, help lead worship at this kids' camp. And so uh, we were driving through a neighborhood. I'm from Florida, me and my buddy John. And as we were driving to go get this bass guitar, uh, we saw a snake in the road. And so we kind of went around it and then kept going. Uh, and then being 16-year-old boys, we realized there's a snake in the road. And so we turned around and uh, put our headlights on it because that's what you do. And so we saw a massive snake. Uh, we didn't know if it was poisonous. We didn't know if it was okay. Uh, we just knew it was a snake. And so um, we wanted to find out what it was. So we, we got out and we uh, went to look at the snake. It scurried off into the grass. Uh, and so, you know, curiosity got us and we, we chased the snake into the grass. Well, it turns out we learned pretty quickly what it was because it coiled up. It was black. It coiled up, turned around, opened its mouth and had its fangs out and had a, a white mouth. Uh, what kind of a snake was this? Oh, this was a cottonmouth, y'all. So if you don't know anything about cottonmouths, it's a pit viper. They're dangerous, and um, they're not friendly, right? You just, you know, you don't want to kiss from it. it. It doesn't go well. And so we were sitting there thinking, man, this is a cottonmouth. Like, this is super dangerous. Uh, so we started breaking branches off of the trees around us to try to catch it because, again, that's what 16-year-old boys do. They make great decisions sometimes. And so we decided to uh, try to catch it, and we couldn't quite catch it. And it was like striking the branch and, you know, just doing what Florida boys do. And uh, out of nowhere, this man just jumps, appears. And it was like, I mean, like Superman back in the day where he just like lands and appears. Like, hey, he's here. Like, and he, he, he started swaying a little bit. And then we suddenly could smell why he was swaying. Uh, he was, you know, he had substances in him. And so he was sitting there swaying. And uh, he said, what you boys got there? Uh, we have a cotton mouth, sir. And he said, uh, where is it? I said, it's literally between your legs. So when he jumped into the scene, he had the thing coiled beneath him uh, with its fangs up right between his legs. And he looked down and said, which one is it? <laughs> which leg or which snake? Because 
there's just one there, but maybe he's saying too. I don't know. I don't want to judge. And so I said, well, it's, it's, it's the one between your legs. And he said, oh, I see it. He took his boot, put it down on its head, grabbed it by the back of the neck. The cottonmouth started going back and forth and then bam, tagged him in the hand. He grabbed it with his other hand, shook and said, oh, it got me. And then he walked away. And so we got in our car and we drove away. And then we thought, I don't know if we should leave them like that, right? Like, but how do we find them? Well, we should at least try. So we turned around and we didn't have cell phones because we didn't have cell phones on it. And so we, and we're trying to find, like, how do we find them? Well, just look for the guy holding the snake. It's probably the guy, right? And so we, we didn't find him holding a snake, but we did see a guy hunched over on the back of a blue pickup truck uh, with his legs kind of starting to give and some people in a garage and then someone else with a shovel hitting the ground. And we thought, I think we found our guy, right? And so we walked up and as we walked up, he collapsed and had all of the signs of someone's central nervous system that's shutting down because that's what that venom does. And so uh, we started to yell over, uh, hey, uh, y'all need to call 911. And they're like, what? Y'all need to call 911. And they said, the race is on. Important detail, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. They were watching a NASCAR race and had NASCAR shirts on. Just in case that paints the picture a little bit better. Uh, and so that being said, they, uh, they're like, oh, okay. So they went and got a phone and they're like, oh, call 911. This guy's, he's, he's going. I mean, he was, he was going. So we pulled him over into the grass uh, from the cement that he was on and called 911 and 911 showed up. The EMTs showed up and as soon as they came, we were standing there saying, here's what happened. And the, the, the paramedic handed me a light and he said, here, hold this. And so this is what I did. I held the light so that there was no more darkness and that those who could save his life, that's their role and job, could do the work that they could do and I could not. Here's the point. Your job as a follower of Christ is to shine your light in such a way that people see what you do and go to Jesus to be saved. This is your role and responsibility. This is your purpose as a follower of Jesus. That God has made you his own so that you would make him known. That you would understand that you have been chosen by God, covenanted into him for all of eternity. That your responsibility now, your purpose now as a follower of Jesus is to live and shine your light in such a way that others would see your living, not your success, see your real actual life and give glory and honor to God who indeed saves. That's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Isaiah 42, all the way through Isaiah 53, that's the theme of those chapters. God's people exist to make him known. So what do we do with this? One application question, and then we'll close in a song. What does your life make 
known loudest and most? What does your life make known? You got to know as a follower of Christ, if you're making something else loudest and known most about your life other than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are missing your purpose. I bet you're miserable. You've been designed for this. You've been designed for this mission that your world would know Jesus. You have been designed in your soul to know Jesus and make him known. This is what you are made for. So what does your life make known? I'm not going to just ask that. We're going to actually think about that and pray over that actually. As some people come out to lead in one more song, I encourage everyone in the room or at home to bow your head and close your eyes or whatever posture you assume to just begin to meditate on the things of God and ask the question really, truly, honestly, what does your life make known? You are the salt of the earth. God has covenanted with you. You are the light of the world. Your purpose is to shine the light of the gospel in and throughout your world. What does your life make known? And if it's not loudest and most the gospel, why don't you take some time today to ask God to help you see, God, that's your purpose for me. Now, how can I fulfill that purpose? Not tomorrow, not this week, not some point, this moment right now. When you walk out of this place, every door and entrance, I went beforehand and I sprinkled salt at every door and entrance. You, you walked on salt coming in and you're going to walk on it leaving out. You're going to leave with the residue of salt on your feet as you go. If you're like, Tim, did I really do that? Just lick the carpet after everyone's gone. It'll taste salty. Like, I, I really did that. I really did that. And you will leave with the residue. You are salt. You are light wherever you go. What does it look like to live that out in this moment and also this week? Let's pray. If you're a follower of Christ, have that conversation with the Lord. If you're not a follower of Christ, I ask you right now, would you be so bold as to confess your sin and believe in Jesus to be saved? A couple of weeks ago, I spent some time with some EMTs. Seems to be a theme to the sermon this morning. As we were talking with so many different backgrounds in the room and different ideas, there were some similarities among the quote-unquote religions, but the one thing I said was there is a unique thing that no other religion in this room has that none of yours have in common, and you just tell me if this is true or not, that in Christianity there is nothing you can do to earn salvation with God. In fact, He does everything on your behalf to bring you into the kingdom and to keep you there. Yes, when I say confess to Jesus and become 
uh, that he would be your Lord and Savior. I'm saying uh, 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 respond to the call of God on your life that he would save you if you confess your sin and that he will keep you just as salt can't be any less salty in time and light can't be anything but light. So today, if you're not a follower of Christ, why don't you pray the best way you know how and tell him, dear God, I, I know I've sinned and he'll agree with you. I believe that you alone can save me from my sin. And he'll say, absolutely. You say, God, I, I ask you to help me, forgive me of my sin. And he'll say, I will. That's what Jesus did. That's his whole point. Now, Lord, would you lead me and help me to be salt and light to this world? And he'll say, that's the purpose I've designed you for. Father, this morning, help us to respond with courage and conviction to walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him than when we came in. It's in his name we pray, amen.